the reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians 2, 12 through 17. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphant, triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God we speak in Christ. Reading God's word. motoring our way through 2 Corinthians right now. We will take a brief detour um, next sort of a transition week with Palm Sunday coming next Sunday and then Easter. So um, if you're inviting people to come with you, they won't necessarily be in 2 Corinthians then. We'll probably something about Jesus on Easter. So <laughs> rest assured and feel free and safe to invite people. Um, even if we're talking about 2 Corinthians, it's always safe to invite people. Um, we uh, this morning, at, uh, as we're reading the scripture, I um, was reminded of when we worked at uh, Nancy, on the second year of our marriage, worked at a boys' home. Uh, it was a court-ordered home for juvenile offenders, a Christian home. We were house parents to 16 incorrigible boys, so it was great uh, training for being parents and youth pastors. But... Um, one of the things the boys, they would have them dress up when we went out to either church or other dinner, whenever we'd leave the uh, campus where we, we all were, they would dress up and they would wear their uh, khakis and their polo shirts. And uh, they loved, at that time, I think the fragrance was polo, the fragrance. And um, you, we could smell the boys coming <laughs> from about a block away. Now, my nose isn't that sensitive, but Nancy's, she would clearly know if they were moving from building to building as a pack because the waft of their scent would precede them because their idea of how to put on this spray at 15, 16, 17, whatever they were, was, well, I've got a whole bottle, right? So if one spray will attract the women, 10 sprays must attract 10 women. So Nancy would always, she was trying to teach them, you want them to move closer to you, not farther away from you. So slow it down a little bit on the things going on. So whenever I read this uh, passage about being a, a fragrance among them, I'm always reminded of this, this fragrance. We're, we're looking at Paul's time talking to this church in, in Corinth, which was a, a troubled church in many regards, a wonderful church, but a church that had a lot of issues. And Paul's ministry itself had a lot of issues. Paul's, if you had to, if I had to describe Paul's ministry, it was just one darn thing after another, right? Paul just never seemed to get out of a season where everything seemed to be going wrong. So I hear people say sometimes, like, man, you know, I just can't catch a break. It's just one thing after another. As soon as we get out from under this debt or as soon as we start to get a good report about it, it's just another bad report. It's just another shipwreck. It's just another snake bite. Somebody's dying. Somebody's rioting. This is Paul's ministry. 
And Paul's looking at it, and I, I tell you, I, I know I'm speaking in mysteries here, and I know I'm talking to you about things that I don't even understand sometimes as I try to be faithful to the Scriptures. But Paul looks at this completely different than we do. He says, yeah, my life is just one tragedy after another, and God's is glorified in every one. And I look at that, and I think, man, I don't get it yet. So please don't think when I'm trying to expound on this that I somehow have this all understood, but I'm going to try to speak as one who is just babbling, speaking in mysteries, but what I think is the truth of the Lord. We've got to understand again what's happening here. I want to bring up again the map we looked at the first week because Paul is writing from a distance. He's not in Corinth, and of course, travel with messages and letters and all this takes time. So Paul is currently in Ephesus when he writes this letter. Uh, He'd been ministering there, and he had sent, he had sent Titus prior to writing the letter. He had sent Titus from Ephesus, and you'll just have to look if you're on that one because I can't point at both screens, um, over to Corinth with this letter that was a severe letter, that was harsh, that was disciplining the church because they were letting people speak into the church against the gospel, against Paul, and it took um, uh, Titus some time to get over on ship from its it's a week to two weeks, but then you've got travel on land, you've got to wait for the meeting, so it could be a matter of months before he's got that. And then, basically what they said is, hey, I'm going to try to hook up with you in Troas. So Paul heads up from Ephesus, he says, and if you've got your Bible, you can look with me at verse 12. He says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, that is, people there were uh, listening and were uh, interested, maybe coming to salvation, he says, my spirit was not at rest. He was sensitive to why Even though on the outward his ministry was going well, he was not at peace because he couldn't find his brother Titus there. Why? Because Titus was bringing back news from how this letter was received. Just imagine if somebody that you were close to, you wrote them, uh, maybe a sibling or a child or a parent, and you wrote them a hard word. And you were really interested in knowing, did they take it? Did they, or did they say, who does he think he is? Paul really wanted to know. And so there he is, and he couldn't find Troas, and he finally figured he's not coming back here. So they head up to Macedonia, he says. Macedonia is in the upper left there, where Philippi, Thessalonica, they're all up in the region of Macedonia. And he says, well, the next shot, whatever communication they use, the next shot we're going to have. So he says it's so important to him that there's unity in the church, that that church was going to come back to a place, and he wanted that church to come back to a place of listening to the Lord and of understanding what they were about, that he's willing to leave fruitful ministry because his spirit was all roiled up, and he goes to Macedonia. And What we're going to do, we're going to skip ahead a few chapters because the narrative of this is delayed. He takes about four chapters to talk about 
and expound on something we're going to come back to in a minute, but the new covenant of, of what um, the hope is for this church. But we're going to skip ahead. If you have your Bible, skip ahead to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, because this is where we pick back up with his travel narrative, so we know what happens. So 7, beginning at verse 5, is where Paul picks back up where he just ended after chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, For when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. It's just one thing after another. Paul's ministry and Paul's life doesn't get easier. So, he says, but God, who comforts the downcast, and that's where we were last week of how God's comfort is not the change necessarily of every circumstance, but we know God's presence in it. And he says, he comforted me by the coming of Titus. So they meet up, joyful reunion. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. He told us of your longing your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. Yay! They took that word that he had sent, and he got word from Titus. They responded well. Okay, so he's really happy. And then he introduces a concept here that is really important. We're going to take a little bit of time to look at this concept. Um, For he says, "If, if I made you grieve with my letter, sending you that hard word, I don't regret it. Though initially I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you. It was hard for them to hear this hard word from this guy that they had respected. It probably led many of them to faith. Though only for a while, in verse 9, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved by that letter, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so you suffered no loss through us. This is important. Verse 10, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. We need to understand this difference between worldly grief and godly grief because they look pretty similar on the outside. And all of us, I guarantee you, you've all experienced this, either being the recipient of, we'll talk about worldly grief first, or you felt it yourself. It's marked by, as, as the Bible says, regret. Is that it, it's this sense of it, and all of us have done it, you, you get caught. You get caught having done something. Either you, somebody walks in on you when you're doing something, or you've just, somehow it comes out. Almost all of us have had that experience, and you're really, really sorry. You are truly, you're grieved over it. But here are some of the reasons you're grieved over it that is called in the Scripture worldly grief. First, and this, all of us get this, and it's, you're really sorry you got caught. Right? You're really. Bottom line is you were upset that you got caught. It wouldn't have really bothered you from the hand in the cookie jar to things a lot more serious. Truly, you would have remained in the sin but you're, you are truly sorry, but you're sorry you got caught. Then when the person confronts you, and this is almost as bad and almost as shallow, is you're sorry they're so sensitive. 
You ever anyone say that to you? Like, they're really upset about something you did, and I'm sorry it bothered you. Worldly grief. You are sorry it bothered them. But there'll be no change. There'll be no, if you're just sorry you got caught, or you're just sorry that the person you're with is so sensitive that it bothers you, worldly grief and nothing will ever change. Maybe you're sorry that it hurt them. It's a little deeper. It's a little less shallow. You truly are sorry that it hurt them. You're sorry that they don't think as well of you anymore, that they think you're a really sinful person, you're a bad guy, bad woman. You're, just, you're sorry about that. Those are all marks of worldly grief. And the end of that road, Paul says, is death. Why? Well, because you're worried about the past that can't be changed. You're worried about the present circumstances, and that's another thing you're sorry for. You're sorry that there's consequences for your actions. Now, that's a good thing in one sense, but it's, it's worldly grief. Everybody's got, there's no, there's no joy or glory in being sorry for the consequences. It's just you are. But those things, Paul says, aren't going to give him joy, that none of those things would have given him joy. They deal with the symptom. Another thing we hear is self-pity. I'm sorry I'm such a mess. Sometimes we beat ourselves up. I'm sorry I'm, I'm such a lousy husband. Just a lousy dad. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm. And then you lead to even deeper self-pity and, and sorrow. I'm sorry I was ever born. It leads to depression. leads to guilt. It leads to people hurting themselves. And it's all considered worldly grief. Why? Because it's all dealing with the horizontal relationship. And it leaves in place the deepest need of mankind, which is forgiveness. Not from the offended party, although that's important and there is a layer. But until we understand forgiveness from God, because God's the only one who can do something about the true broken relationship of our lives, which is that we, His loved creation, have offended Him in our sin. And until we understand that and that it's broken, we can't truly get the kind of grief that will change us, godly grief. The great example in Scripture, although there are several, but the great example of false grief is Saul. Saul, in several times, gives us a perfect example of what false grief looks like. In chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, Saul has disobeyed God's command to completely wipe out the Amalekites with everything that they had brought. And he reserves some of the best of their livestock and other things, saying he's going to give a sacrifice, but he basically disobeys God's command. And when Samuel the prophet confronts Saul, here's Saul's words, he says, I've sinned. And you think, oh, okay, end of story, right? I mean, he acknowledges his sin. I violated the Lord's command in your instruction. And then he gives the reason. I was afraid of men. I gave in to them. 
So please forgive my sin. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. There's no sense of his brokenness before God. Ten chapters later in 1 Samuel 26, Saul goes to kill David because of his jealousy. David spares his life and Saul's response in chapter 26 of 1 Samuel verse 21. Saul says, I've sinned. Oh, David, my son, return, for I I won't do you any more harm. You've spared me. My life was precious in your eyes this day. I've acted foolishly. I've made a great mistake. Guess who's trying to kill David about four chapters later? He was really sorry. I have no doubt that Saul was truly sorry with worldly false grief. We all have seen, right, Somebody coming to us, and they're really, really, really sorry. But what they really want is your approval. They really want to be back in your good graces. And our job is to point them to God, to the vertical. What marks godly grief isn't regret. What marks godly grief is repentance, which is turning. How many of us have said, look, I'm glad you're sorry. They both look very similar on the outside, worldly grief and godly grief. You're really sorry, but rather than turning, wanting that person to somehow put you back right, you go to God, and you confess, and you receive his forgiveness, because, see, the the person that you've offended, or if you're the offending person, You can't do anything about whether that other person forgives you or not. But you can be assured that God will forgive you. When you repent, when you confess, repenting is a change of heart that leads to a change of behavior. And we pray that other people will enter into that. That's the best. But they've got to decide that. You you can't decide whether someone else is going to forgive you. Another mark of false grief is just saying, well, I mean, I've said I'm sorry. What more do you want from me? Right? I mean, it's been a week since I confessed that thing to you, and you're still holding it over my head. See, we need to go to God in the secret place and say, God, I I know your forgiveness, and I'm going to walk in purity whether or not the other person ever forgives me. Now, is it best that they forgive you? Absolutely. The mending of the human relationship is part of God's perfect plan. But for us, and for Paul, he was so happy that the Corinthians didn't just do the, well, I see Paul, you know, I see Paul's point, I guess we ought to, you know, make it right with him. They were truly cut in their heart that they had sinned and they made it right with God. Now, if you go back with me, please, to 2 Corinthians 2. I want to pick up this just this last few verses as we close here in verse 14. Because he says, after being distressed in his spirit by not finding Titus, he says this, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now, I've heard that image 
before, read that scripture before, and it's like, it's like, praise God, who doesn't love a parade, right? It just seems so great, the triumphal procession, you know? And I kind of picture myself, you know, maybe next to Jesus on the horse, you know, I got the horse next to him, or I'm on the chariot or something, you know, who, I mean, the, the triumph, we're just living in victory, you know, the triumph. And I mean, who doesn't love, I, I like Burberry for men, but who doesn't love that good incense, you know, nice aroma filling the air? It just seems great, doesn't it? You know what? I think we misunderstand this image. A triumphal procession has a very specific meaning for Paul. Romans, anyone living in Rome at this time would have understood what a triumphal procession, because it happened all the time. They minted coins about triumphal processions. The word they use here, very specific, the arch, still arches today in Rome. Palatine Hill has pictures of the triumphal procession. There's a general who leads in captives who he is won in battle. Remember, Rome is a conquering force. They are a dominant because of their military. And they take, whatever they take over a people group, they take the leaders of that group and they bring them in chains. And they bring them through in this triumphal procession so everybody knows who the general is and who the bad bad boy on, on the block is. And they march them through and then the Roman Senate would authorize it, and they'd all march. They'd have their photo ops. It is exactly what it was. There's lots of things written about this. And as the prisoners would go forth, finally, on white steeds would come, and then oxen for the sacrifice, and they would take prisoners, and they would sacrifice them to Jupiter next to the oxen. And it would say, don't mess with Rome. We're in charge. The language here isn't Paul as the leader of the victory, look at what he says. He says he leads us in the triumphal procession. There's tons of music. There's tons of incense during these processions. If you read any of the much, much of the literature that's written of the time, just there's just smoke clouds filling the air of the incense. And the ones who were dying knew that that incense meant that their death was impending. And Paul, and guys, this is a mystery, but Paul says, look, I'm a guy whose life is just marked by suffering. That's sort of death. It's not talking about his physical death. He was only going to die one time. But he says, I live in this, in, in times that life's a struggle, and life is really hard. And he says, I live in that knowledge that I was a slave before, but I was a slave to sin. And now, taking from the book of Romans, he says, now I'd much rather be a slave to righteousness, to Jesus. And that even with all the pain and all the circumstances and all the things that go on, I become part of his procession. And that like the death of those captives in the Roman triumphal procession, as I suffer, it becomes an opportunity for people to understand and know Jesus Christ. And he said, before they understood and knew my sin as I'm persecuting Christians, now they understand and know that the fragrance, what's wafting off of me, to some people it smells like death. It's not great marketing, right? Oh, day death is not like a great cologne. But he says, for those who are perishing... 
For those who reject God, they look at me and my suffering and it seems repulsive to them. People would much rather, I'd much rather follow a successful person in my flesh. I want to follow somebody who's got it all together because I want to be just like them. They make the money. They say all the right things. They're good at cocktail parties. They have all the stuff going for them. That's like, man, I want to be just like them. And Paul says, I want to be just like my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who said, take up your cross and follow me and die to your own self. And somehow the scent and the waft of of what's released to people isn't death, but to those who who want something more in life, who want purpose in life that matters more than right now, you begin to smell like the best thing ever. And as Tim Keller has said, and I just I, I keep loving this line, he says, we as Christians in this culture need to be both offensive and attractive at the same time. If we're only one or only the other, something's wrong. And Paul says, somehow God makes my scent offensive to some and attractive to others at the same time because I'm willing to suffer, because I'm willing to do the hard things. I'm not willing to shut the door on that. I'm willing to say yes to God even when it's hard. So my call, and I speak to my own heart, I speak to my own life and mind more, even more than I speak to yours, is that are we willing to be God's captive? Are we willing to be led in the procession and say, God, I'm not my own anymore? Believe me, the people walking in that procession didn't think they had any rights that they could tell God what they were going to do. But I tell you, my heart wants to say, well, God, I'll tell you what I want to do. This is how big a church I want to have, God. This is how much money I want to raise for the building. This is, how, this is how I want my life to be, God, and I really hope that you'll get in line with my plan. I'm sure the Roman generals would have thought very favorably of the people in the procession who told them how they wanted to, you know, march. said, no, you're the conquered one. You serve at my pleasure now. But praise God, we don't serve a vicious general. We serve a God of such love and such holiness that he takes us and he says, you're not going to just die. I'm not putting you to death. I'm going to get on that cross for you. Where you deserve to die, I'll actually die in your place. I'll get off that horse. And I'll take the punishment for you. And if you trust in me and you say, yeah, I'm your captive, Lord, then you don't have to suffer what you should. We get what we don't deserve. Which is life after the cross. But you can't get away from the cross. If you try to get life away from the cross, you're... Your grief is false. There's no repentance. It's just getting what you want, and you'll manipulate to the end of your days. Some of you all manipulate and manipulate to get what you want, and I do too. The Lord says, just stop it. Just die to yourself. Don't play the game. And you may offend some. You may offend your own heart in that. That's Okay. Because at the end of that road, you will know your captain. Would you pray with me, please? Jesus, you've led us in a triumphal procession. 
You've taken captive a host of captives, the book of Ephesians says. Colossians, it says that in the triumphal procession, you you took captive the evil spirits. Lord, you who have the might and the power over all things to set all things right, Lord, and yet for us, you've called us to die with you and that you would step in and become part of our lives. Lord, for those of us who are seeking purpose and pleasure in the things of this world and the recognition of people, Lord, I ask that you would cut us off at the knees, that you would bring us from slaves of sin, Lord, to see that when we give up and make you our captain, that we can not only do the right thing, but we can do it for the right reason. And that, Lord, that we can endure suffering. And if our life, like Paul's, is just one thing after another, and that we are physically suffering, that we're, we just seem to be under it, Lord, that we would see you that we can still, it can release in us when we walk in the comfort that you give this beautiful aroma of Jesus Christ, this something that draws people not because we're clever, smart, rich, or beautiful, but because your life matters. And you loved, Lord, in the midst of the most horrendous pain and treatment that we will celebrate over these next few weeks, that when you were mocked and tortured and finally killed, Lord, you demonstrated the life of God that's changed the entire world, that's revolutionized us. So, Lord, we bring to you ourselves today. I ask that where we've been standing in our own strength, that you would help our lives and our ministries have the sweet smell of suffering that brings godliness, that brings joy, peace, and life beyond all measure. Just give you a minute to speak to the Lord and to listen to the Holy Spirit before we close.